Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. All right, go ahead and get your handout out. Tonight we're starting a new study on cults and world religions. All right, now let me explain why we are doing this and what we are doing specifically this evening. As you know, when you're building a house, what do you have to do first? Foundation. Tonight is foundation night, all right? Before we start talking about what different cults believe, we have to be sure that we understand what a cult is, what a, what a world religion is. Um, and so over the next number of weeks, originally when Jason and I were talking about this, we were going to try to make this an eight-week study, but we were going to be speeding through this and doing multiple cults in one week, and we just said, you know what, we're going to have to slow down, and we're just going to take our time through this, and so this may go to January or February. We're okay with that. Be patient with us. Obviously, in the month of December, we have our different kids' choirs and Christmas Eve service, so month of December will kind of be a break, but we're going to do this um, tonight, October, November, take December off, and then there's probably going to be some things that we're not able to get to before the end of the year that we'll kind of jump back into in January and February. But what we want to do is really strive to understand not just what other people believe, all right? Now, that's what's interesting, all right, let's just be honest for a second. It is interesting to go and say, okay, what do Hindus believe? And what does Islam believe? And what does Mormonism believe? And go through all these different cults and world religions and just examine the, the uniquenesses of their belief system and the uniquenesses of, of their doctrine and kind of dive into those and say, well, that's interesting and that's kind of strange and that's kind of weird. That's interesting and fun. What we also want to do, though, and this is kind of the, the root behind this study, is not just learn what other people believe. I believe very firmly, though, that as we study what other people believe, it allows us to reinforce what we believe. And that's the ultimate goal, because listen, if we understand what everybody else believes, but yet we are not rooted in what we believe, we're missing the whole point, right? I mean, what good is it to know what every religion on earth believes if you can't defend and, and articulate what you believe? And that's one of the, the challenges of modern-day Christianity is that we have this cultural Christianity. We have this scheduled Christianity. But when it comes down to it, most Christians can't articulate what they believe. They don't know why they believe what they believe. If even, even some of the most foundational doctrines in Scripture, such as the deity of Christ, many Christians struggle to defend. We, we, we struggle to, to, to explain to someone why we believe what we believe. And growing up, one of the challenges, I, I was one of those kids that always asked questions. Not just when I was a toddler, all the way through. I mean, growing up middle school, high school, I was always like, well, why do we do that? It drove my parents crazy. Why do we believe that? Well, why does the church do that? Well, why do they teach that? One of the challenges, though, in, in my generation growing up is oftentimes we were taught and told what to believe, but we were never taught why we believe it. And if you look at my generation specifically, there are many in my generation, not just my generation, all generations, but I've, I've observed my generation more, my generation, who have walked away from their faith completely. And one of the reasons why they have walked away from their faith completely is because they've been told what to believe. They've not been told why they believe it or how it's biblical. 
And so they start asking questions, and guess what they found out? The Mormons will answer their questions. Jehovah's Witness will answer their questions. The Muslims will answer their questions. But they come into a church and they ask their questions, and guess what they're told? We believe that because of what the Bible teaches. Now, is that a truthful answer? Well, hopefully it is. But shouldn't there be more? Shouldn't we be able, when people come and ask us why we believe what we believe, especially our kids as they're growing up in the church, and they ask us why we believe what we believe, listen, we should never just say, well, because. Because where, if they leave the church, and they're in high school, and they're even in middle school, and high school, and college, and they start asking questions, every other belief system will answer those questions for them. And guess where they're going to end up following? They're going to follow the people who answer their questions. So the question I've had, I wouldn't even plan on talking about all this, kind of an opening rabbit trail, but the question I have is why haven't we taught our kids why we believe what we believe? What are your thoughts? Why do you think we've not, as Baptists specifically, why do you think we've not done an overly good job of teaching why we believe what we believe? Say what? Okay, parents have left it up to the church. All right, why else? Because we don't know ourselves. Too busy? Any other thoughts? All right, we forget where we were at the beginning and, and the, the... Yeah. yeah if, you, if, you, if you were saved at the age of seven, you grew up knowing all the stories, right? You know, I think that's one of the challenges for children's ministry specifically is we have to be careful that we don't have a children's ministry that teaches stories but fails to teach truth. Do you know the difference? I mean, we can have kids in the church and we teach them all the stories in the Bible, but we fail to teach them how those stories, we fail to teach them the truth contained in those stories. And so what happens is the kids grow up and they say, they, they, they know Noah and the ark, and they know David and Goliath, and they know Daniel and the lion's den, and you go down the list. They know all the stories, but you say, well, what does that mean? How does that matter? What do they say? I don't know. And so we have to be careful. So one of the purposes and benefits of a study such as this is it allows us to be able to dive in, learn what we believe by studying what other people believe. Now, again, tonight is the introductory material. So what are some of the cults and world religions that you all have heard of? Mormons, all right. Jehovah's Witness? Scientology? Jehovah's Witness are the ones knocking on your doors? Muslims? What else? Hindus? Mm-hmm. Buddhism, we could go on and on. If you have your outline, let, let's kind of dive into some of this a little bit. And again, we're going to go through a lot of different things this evening. Um, but let me kind of give, lay the foundation for you. All right, under introduction, here's, here's A. All right, four religions account for the overwhelming majority of religious adherents. All right, four religions account for the overwhelming majority of religious adherents. Anybody want to guess what those four major religions are that account for 70% of the world's population religious adherents? Hinduism. Hinduism. Oh, it's on the outline. 
Y'all are acting so smart. I'm like, man. I'm not, y'all cheating. Man, I was was sitting here thinking, man, everybody knows this. This is fantastic. All right. (laughs) I'm not asking this time. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity. All right. So you have these four major religions that 70% of the world's population adheres to. Now, now here's how we're going to go through this study over the next number of weeks and months. We're going to examine the major religions of the East, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Islam, Judaism. We're going to look at some of those. Now, a couple of those you may have never heard of. All right, we are going to focus on those, those major Eastern religions of Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam. We're going to do a week on the Quran um, and focus specifically on that. But there's a couple of other ones that are kind of uh, Taoism, Shintoism, a couple other ones that are growing rapidly right now in some of the Eastern countries of, of the earth. And so we're going to talk about some of those. But then we're also going to examine some of the more modern religions of the West. All right, so in the Western Hemisphere, there have, has been a an abundance of growth in world religions, religions such as Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Christian science, Scientology, um, and a couple of ones that are sometimes people wonder about. We're, we're going to take some time and talk about, just for clarification, Seventh-day Adventist, um, and then we're going to talk about Catholicism. Where does Catholicism fall in all this? We're going to take a week and we're going to talk about that. But then we're also, Lord willing, going to talk about the occult. All right, The occult is a separate belief system um, that, that is very dark, and it's very. We're, we're, we're going to be cautious not to dive in too, too much to that, but we are going to talk, talk about what the occult is and some of the New Age religions and cults, all right? So the four major world religions are Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and Christianity. Now, under the umbrella of Christianity, it's a little confusing. Why is the umbrella of Christianity a little bit confusing? So what? They count everybody, not just denominations, they count everyone who claims the title Christian. So we claim the title Christian. Are we Christians? So if you went to a Mormon and said, are y'all Christians, what are they going to say? If you go to Jehovah's Witness and you say, are you Christians, what are they going to say? Yes. So under the umbrella of Christianity is not just evangelical, Bible-believing Christianity, but it is anyone who uses the title Christian. So whenever you're watching the news and they say, well, we have this percentage of Christians, understand in your mind, that's all people who use the name Christian. So Catholics use the name Christian. Um, Under the umbrella of evangelical or Protestant Christianity, you have Baptist and Presbyterian and Church of God, and we could go all the way down the list. They all use the name uh, title Christian. So when you see the title Christian, don't just accept it as, oh, we must all believe the same thing. See, you can use the same title as someone else, but have a completely different belief system. That's why this study is helpful, because there's probably groups who call themselves Christians that when you boil it down, kind of dive in a little bit deeper, there, there are some major differences. All right? B, on your outline, about 15, 15% of the world's population is classified as non-religious. One of the things that we're also going to take a little time and study, I, I, I don't know how long we'll spend on this, um, but we're going to talk about atheism, agnostics, um, we're going to talk about some of these other religions that claim to be non-religious. I, I, I believe that atheism and agnosticism in its own way is a, a belief system. It, it is a religion. So we're going to dive into a couple of those and talk about what do they believe. 
They believe something, right? What do they believe, and how do we, how do we share the gospel with them? All right, C, about 15% of the world's population follows other religions. So you have these major four world religions of um, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and Christianity. Notice that uh, these are old religions, right? These, these are not just religions that started in the last couple of weeks. These have been around for a long time. About 15% of the world's population follow other religions. Uh, some of them are old. Some of them are spinoffs. Of, of some of these more ancient religious belief systems, uh, but some of them are relatively new. Christian science is relatively new. Scientology is relatively new. Um, and so of those 15%, or if you look at the world as a whole, 70% follow those four major religions. And again, each one of those can be broken down different ways. 15% say, I don't follow anything. I, I'm, I'm not religious. And of those, some are atheists, some are agnostic, and some are just disinterested. Um, and then you have 15% who follow some of these smaller religions that have kind of crept up in more recent years. So that's kind of how the belief system of the world kind of breaks down. Here's, here's what I want to do next. Number two in your outline is focused on the definition of what a cult is. So here's why this is a foundational week. Before we can dive in and talk about what different cults believe, we have to know what all cults have in common. And there are some things that all cults have in common. And so let's go through these different definitions because the way you use the term cult and the way the news media use the, uses the term cult is different. And the definition in the, in the dictionary is different. So let's walk through each of these definitions. Here's A, the, 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 the dictionary definition is a system of religious beliefs or rituals. So do we have a system of religious beliefs? Do we? Yes, we have a system of religious beliefs. We may need to back up a step. We have a system of religious beliefs. Where are those teachings found? Oh, good. I was hoping you all got that one right. All right. It's found in Scripture, right? When you start kind of diving into this a little bit, do, so we have, a, we, we have a system of religious beliefs. Do we have any rituals or things that we do as a church on a regular basis? Baptism, Lord's Supper, what we refer to as ordinances. So according to this definition, are we a cult? All right, so let's look at the next definition. So you understand then how when the media may use the term cult, he's like, we're not a cult. Well, what definition are they using? All right, B, there's a modern use. The modern use, and this is kind of the the usage that's used just out in society in general, any religious group that is viewed as strange or dangerous. Back about 15 years ago, I was in Waco, Texas. Anybody know anything about Waco, Texas? That is not where, I, is it where Fixer Upper, that's not what we're talking about. Y'all watch too much HGTV. I read a stat that said 80% of marriage problems are started by HGTV. I don't know if that's true or not. David Koresh, the name ring a bell? All right, he, his base of operation was in Waco, Texas, and we actually went to the compound where they were, and it was all grown up, and there were signs that said no trespassing and all this, but we actually saw the building where this was. They were viewed as strange, and were they dangerous? 
They were, they were viewed as strange and they were dangerous. That, that's, when, when you just talk, when you meet someone and they say, well, they're a cult. The average person walking through Walmart who uses the term cult, that's the kind of mindset they have. It's strange. It's dangerous. It doesn't make sense. It's kind of weird. All right? So that's the modern use. This, this C, the Christian use, is how we are using the term. All right? It is a counterfeit or a system of beliefs that is different from the core doctrinal teachings of Scripture, or if we want to put it a different way, a counterfeit or a serious difference from what the Bible teaches. That's your blank. The Bible teaches. And on, on the screen, you see I put the different from the core doctrinal teachings of Scripture, because is it possible for two Bible-believing Christians to have some aspects of what they believe differ? You think all of us in here agree on everything? Who said yes? <laughs> All right, so we're going to have differences on things. I, I want you to imagine a, a dartboard. All right, you got it in your mind? You know how it has the different rings, and you go all the way in, and what do you eventually get to at the center? The bullseye. All right, I want you to imagine that the closer into the center you are, the more crucial the doctrines all right, so how do we know what crucial doctrines are? Well, well, the doctrines of the Bible that affect salvation, that affect what Christ has done, who Christ is, those core doctrinal beliefs that are directly connected to salvation are essential. All right, those are the core doctrinal teachings. Now, from there, you start to move out, and there's some things that are crucially important, but it's possible for someone to disagree with and still be a believer in Christ. And you can move out from there, and there's going to be things that we disagree about. Um, there's things that when Jason and I talk that we disagree about, and he's wrong, but um, I'm just kidding, sort of. Um, we could go around the auditorium this evening, and we could talk, and we could find, I could find things with every single person, and you could find things with each other with, with which you disagree. What we're talking about, core doctrinal beliefs, are those things that affect the gospel, those things that affect eternal destiny, those things that affect who Jesus is and what Jesus did and how we can have eternal life, those things that affect that core doctrinal belief, that bullseye, are the things that are non-negotiable. All right, So those are the things, and when we say a counterfeit or a serious difference from what the Bible teaches, we're not just talking about anything the Bible teaches, we're specifically talking about those core doctrinal beliefs. So here's where I really want us to walk away with it, what I want us to walk away with this evening. What do all cults have in common? All right? There are some things that all cults have in common. Now, the teachings may look different. It may be presented different. They may have a different cultural aspect within their cult. But there's some things that they, have all, that all, they all have in common. So let me start walking through these. Here's the first one. A, they all subtract from the fact that Jesus was God. In some way, they all subtract from the fact that Jesus was God. Now, they do this in different ways. Um, what are some of the beliefs that people have about Jesus in other cults and world religions? He was, a, I heard the word prophet, all right? He was a prophet. What else? He was not the son of God. He was a great teacher. All right, so it's possible for a cult to value Jesus and that he was a great moral teacher or he was a prophet like Muhammad or they have these different beliefs about who Jesus was but yet not, not believe that he is God. 
Or what they, some cults will do is they will say, well, we believe he is a son of God like there are other sons of God. So more, one of the things Mormonism does is, and I've, I've, I've been to Salt Lake City several different times, and I have, one of the things I'm going to do as we go through each of these, I'll bring in whatever their scriptures are. So I have a Book of Mormon, I have the Jehovah's Witness, I have an English translation of the Quran. I'll bring those in. Anybody who wants to look at those after the Bible study, you can come up and look at those. But one of the things that Mormons do is they say that Jesus and Satan were spirit brothers. One was good and one was bad. All right, does that minimize, and they say that they were created by God. Does that minimize the fact that Jesus is God? Does that affect the doctrine of the deity of Christ? Absolutely it does. Now, if you go to them and you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? Absolutely we believe in Jesus. And when we get to Mormonism, I'll tell you, I've had many meetings with Mormons, and I'll kind of communicate or kind of tell some of those stories but all cults and all, all cults subtract from the fact that Jesus was God. All right? B, they all multiply the requirements for salvation. All right? They all multiply the requirements for salvation. What do we believe about salvation? That, what is needed for salvation? The blood of Christ, repentance, and faith is what we would say. Is it rooted in our good works? No, and that's good news because if it was rooted in good works, then you would be responsible not just for earning your salvation, but for maintaining your salvation, and none of us could do that. We would all fail. And so when we're talking about multiplying the requirements for us for salvation, what we're saying is some of them will say, well, you need to have faith in Christ, but you also have to be sure that you do this. So if you go and you ask them, do you believe that Jesus is necessary for salvation? What are they going to say? Yeah, we believe Jesus is necessary for salvation. That's not where your questions stop. So you ask, do you believe Jesus is necessary for salvation? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is all that is necessary for salvation? Now, you may get a different answer. All right? So how we ask questions when we're talking to people of different faiths is crucial. What are some other ways that some cults may multiply the requirements for salvation? I heard it. Good works. And that's the fun, fundamental answer. The one thing that separates Christianity, evangelical, Protestant Christianity, from all other belief systems around the world, all of them, is that we are the only one that says your works have nothing to do with your salvation. Nothing. Every other belief system, cult, world religion, in one way or another, work works into the equation. And we're going to see how they do that as we go through each of these. Um, Listen, if we could earn our salvation, how many good works would you have to do to earn earn salvation? Depends on how bad you were. Well, how many would you have to do? A lot? lot? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I need to ask Linda. Um, Take you about two years? You're kind of optimistic, aren't you? Um, I'm just kidding, Ray. As we're looking at this, I mean, that, that, isn't that the question? How do you know when you've done enough? So you constantly live in this sphere of, did I do enough today? Or maybe you go and you have a really bad day. Was I so bad that I took some steps back and lost my salvation? So you are constantly living under, in this bubble of, 
Have I done enough? And as you talk with people of other religions, no matter how confident they are in their religion, if you build a relationship with them and you get to know them, one of the things that always ends up bubbling up to the top is this fear of have I done enough? Have I served enough, gave enough, gone on enough mission trips, done enough for the church? Have I been good enough to my neighbor? Even when you're looking at Eastern religions of Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam, some of these core religions, they all have these things, these duties that they have to perform, and they have to do these duties before God to appease God, to earn God's favor. But again, the question is, have we done enough? How would you like to live a life not knowing if you've actually done enough? be miserable, wouldn't it? I mean, you wake up one day and you're like, you know what? I think I'm saved today. You get in traffic. I don't think I'm saved today. You, I mean, that's really what it's going to be like. Because Every little thing that happens is going to elicit a response from you. And if your response is good, you're going to feel good about your eternal security. And if your response is bad, well, was that enough for God to take it away? That's a miserable way to live. But That's the way the majority of religious people on earth live because they multiply requirements for salvation. So what we believe, and we'll talk about this as we go through this, is that, listen, your works have nothing to do with salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you've been saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. And what Paul is saying in that passage in Ephesians, and that first two chapters in Ephesians are amazing. But what Paul is saying in those first two chapters is, listen, It's not about you. Now, do works follow salvation? Absolutely. But we work because we have been saved. We do not work in order to be saved. We'll dive into that more as we go along. But understand that they all, all cults, subtract from the fact that Jesus was God. They all multiply the requirements for salvation. And C, they all add or take away from the Bible. They all add or take away from the Bible. And there's several ways that they do this. And I put four of them down here um, because these are four of the most common. There's other ways, but let me give you these four. Here's the first one. They say the Bible is only a good book. There are belief systems around the world, Eastern and Western belief systems, that will say, you know what, the Bible is a good book. You should read the Bible. You'll you'll learn some good things. There's great moral lessons in the Bible. Are there great moral lessons in the Bible? There's so much more. See, one of the things that we believe is that the Bible doesn't just contain aspects of truth, but that the Bible is truth. It doesn't just contain the words of God. It is the words of God. I know sometimes we can get kind of turned off by the theological terms, but the theological terms communicate so much important truth. We believe in the, what is called the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, And each one of those words is crucial. You say, what in the world? I've never heard that before in my life. What does that matter? We're going to talk about that a little bit because we believe that every word in Scripture is inspired. We believe that the parts as well as the whole is inspired. And we believe that it is inspired, meaning it is directly from God. So when we we say, hey, let's read God's word, we're not searching through this and thinking, well, I wonder if this is true. I wonder if this is part of God's word. We believe all of this. We believe that this is all God's word. We believe that this is as Paul said in, in Timothy, um, breathed out by God, all right? How else do they do it? Number two, they say the Bible is God's word, but it contains mistakes, so you need, need to use another book in addition to the Bible. If you have, ever, have any of you have ever seen a commercial on TV for, Mormon, for Mormonism? All right, some of you have. 
What do they promise to mail you? The Book of Mormon with what? The Bible. They mail out both. You know what they're saying? And if you talk with Mormons, they'll actually tell you this. The Bible is a great book, but it contains mistakes, and so you need the Book of Mormon to better understand the Bible. So they send out both. And if you actually talk with them, you say, well, what if I'm reading something in the Bible that says one thing, and then I read in the Book of Mormon that says something else? What, what if there's a contradiction? Who do I believe? You know what they tell you? Well, the Bible has mistakes. The Book of Mormon does it, so you believe the Book of Mormon. So they, they do not come right out and say, listen, don't read the Bible Ignore the Bible, read the Book of Mormon. That's not what they say. They say, read your Bible. It's great for you to read the Bible. You'll benefit from reading the Bible. But also read the Book of Mormon. If you find any contradictions, just know the Book of Mormon is the one that's correct. And the Bible has some mistakes. So you have to be, you have to be careful, right? You say, hey, they're sending out Bibles. Fantastic. Well, what do they believe about the Bible? Number three. They say the Bible is 100% accurate, but you have to follow their group to really understand the meaning. This is what the Jehovah's Witness do. Um, they have number of periodicals they send out. The Watchtower magazine. I remember I was pumping gas one day, and somebody came up to me. You know, you're always a little... Anybody just walks up to you out of the blue at a gas station, you're like... Just kind of take a step back and look, what are you doing? It was a Jehovah's Witness, and came and handed me three or four different publications of the Watchtower magazine. Well, what they believe is that you can read the Bible, and you can study the Bible, but you need the teaching of the Jehovah's Witness, their church, their elders, in order to be able to understand the Bible. So as you're reading, I mean, let's be honest, are there confusing things in the Bible? Absolutely there is. What they will say is, that's why you need the Watchtower. We can help you understand. And so I took their things from them because I still got them in my office. But, but I also had some stuff that I gave them, so we traded. Um, so I'll, I'll bring those in on the week that we do the Jehovah's Witness. You can look through some of their materials. And, and again, their teachings, the, the, the danger of many of these cults and world religions is not just their teaching, is but some of their teachings sound so similar. It's deceptive. And, and what I mean by that is we can be easily deceived because they use some of the same terminology. Um, I was sitting with uh, two Mormons at Panera. Um, they wanted to meet, actually it was a co-worker of a, of a guy in my church, and he said, I don't feel comfortable going, and they're bringing two, and Mormons, if you know anything about how they meet, they always have a younger with an older experience. And so he said, I don't feel comfortable going, will you go with me? And I was like, Okay. And so we went to Panera, and we're sitting there, and we're eating our bagels and drinking our coffee, and we start talking with them. And one of the questions that came up is about who Jesus is. And that's an important question, right? And so my friend asked them, well, do you believe that Jesus is God? What do you think their answer was? Yes. And my friend almost took a sigh of relief. Was, okay, good. Well, maybe we're not so that far that far apart. Well, I'd been to Salt Lake City a few times. I've led two different mission trips to Salt Lake City. I've toured the main Mormon temple in Salt Lake City, and so I, I've studied this a lot, probably more than others. I've studied Mormonism, and I knew their teaching, and so I asked, what do you mean when you say Jesus is God? Or, 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 or 
Um, more specifically, the question was, do you believe Jesus is God's son? And they said, yes, we believe Jesus is God's son. Okay, well, that sounds great. Well, what do you, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, we believe Jesus is God's son. What do, you, what do you believe? And we said, we believe Jesus is God's son. I said, but don't you all believe that God created Jesus? They were like, well, yeah. Well, don't you believe that Jesus and Satan were spirit brothers? Well, yeah. Don't you believe that one was good and one was bad and God blessed one and God cursed one? Well, yeah. We started going all the way down through it, and, and we'll dive into this more on the week with Mormonism. You come down to it, we believe Jesus is God's son, right? If you ask them, they're going to say, yes, we believe Jesus is God's son. They mean something completely different. And so if you just ask them, are you a Christian? Yes. Do you believe the Bible? Yes. Do you believe Jesus is God's son? Yes. Well, we're the same. No, we're not. And so we have to be very cautious. Let me give you a fourth one. Number four, they make other things on the same level as Scripture. Um, one of the ones we're going to talk about, and, and Catholicism is, is a little different than the other cults and world religions, and we'll explain why when we get there. But one of the things that some, not all, some Catholics believe is that on the, you have the, the, the importance and the value of Scripture here. What they also do is they bring tradition equal to Scripture, and then they also bring the word of the Pope is infallible. When he speaks on behalf of the church, he is infallible. So what they're saying is that God's word is infallible, tradition is infallible, and when the Pope speaks on behalf of the church, the Roman Catholic Church, he is infallible. So in their own way, and again, there are exceptions, not every Catholic believes this, but in their own way, what they are doing is they're saying, it's not just God's word that is inspired, tradition for the Catholic Church can be inspired, and not just tradition for the Catholic Church, the word of the Pope can be inspired. And so that creates some issues, that creates some problems with what happens if what the Pope says differs from what Scripture says? Who do you believe? Well, what if there is a contradiction between Scripture and the tradition of the Catholic Church? Who do you believe? And I'll show you quotes from previous popes and even some of the writings of Catholicism where they say if there's a contradiction between Scripture and tradition, then you're interpreting Scripture wrong. You need to follow the tradition. And so the ones who hold to that aspect of, of what is inspired, what is on the same level as Scripture, there are dangers with that. And so we'll dive in and we'll talk about some of that. All right? Any questions so far before we get to this last section? How are we doing on time? No, we're good. Any questions so far? They have a way, they talk about salvation. They, her question was that don't Jehovah's Witness believe that we don't even need salvation. They use the term salvation, but in a completely different way than we use the term salvation. Um, and we'll talk about that. But, but you're right. That it, you'll hear them use the term, but it's completely different than, than what we mean by that. Any other thoughts, questions, comments? The Protestant Reformation, let me back up and kind of go back 500 years. During the Protestant Reformation, there was a man named Martin Luther. Y'all ever heard of Martin Luther? 
Martin Luther is one of my favorite historical figures. The primary thread in the Protestant Reformation was several key concepts. And one of those key concepts is what was called sola fide, faith alone. And that was really what all the debate of the Protestant Reformation was all about. It was all about, are we justified by faith or are we justified by works? And during that time, the Catholic Church was telling people that you don't just need Christ. You have to do these certain works. You have to, um, every, they had a, a slogan that went something like this, that whenever you dropped money in the coffer, whenever the coffer rings, a soul from Purgatory Springs. You ever heard that? Um, and it was basically the idea that if you give money, you can buy people out of purgatory. And so Martin Luther, uh, this is a long answer, I'm sorry, but Martin Luther was basically saying, no, the Bible teaches we are justified by faith alone. But more foundational than the sola fide was the, was the sola scriptura, by scripture alone. And it was the idea that our belief system is rooted in scripture alone, but the problem during this time period was that the, the Bible was only written in primarily, in many parts of the world, it was only written in Latin or in Greek, and so it wasn't in the common language of the people. You, go to, you jump forward to England, you had a man by the name of William Tyndale. Y'all ever heard of William Tyndale? All right, William Tyndale. He had this conviction that everyone needed to have the Bible in their own language. And his belief was... We don't have to go to a priest to have the priest interpret the Bible for us and to tell us what the Bible says. Everyone needs to have the Bible in their own hands so they can read and so they can study and so they can learn and so they can memorize. And he actually ended up, and I think I've told this illustration before, he actually ended up being put to death because of his belief and his efforts in starting printing and publishing the Bible in the English language because he believed that every single person has the right to own a copy of God's Word that they can read, study a copy of God's Word, memorize a copy of God's Word. His, now here's the answer to your question. His, sorry, I like this kind of stuff. Um, his belief... And what really thrust the Protestant Reformation forward was we do not have to go to a pope or a priest or a pastor to study Scripture. That we all can take a copy of God's Word and we can sit down and we can study and we can read and we can determine um, through proper study what the Bible says and what it means. Um, and so the question is, how would we respond to a Jehovah's Witness that say, well, we just rely on, on the, the Watchtower and the Jehovah's Witness Church to tell us the interpretation. You all do the same thing. You go to church and your pastor tells you what it means. Well, I do teach Scripture and I do explain Scripture, but I am fully aware that you all on your own can get your Bible and you can sit down and you can study and you can read and you can pray that God, one of the, the works of the Holy Spirit is revealing the truth of Scripture. It's called the illumination of Scripture. The Holy Spirit illumines Scripture to you as you read and you study. And so you can pray and you can say, God, help me to understand this. And that's what happened with Martin Luther. He was, a, he was in a monastery, a monk in a monastery, reading and studying Scripture. He had only ever been told what his superiors had told him it meant. And as he was reading and as he was studying and as he was praying, he said, God, this doesn't seem right. Show me what is true. Show me what is right. And God revealed to him, illumined to him the meaning of Scripture. So the answer to that is, while we may value, gain value from teachers and while we may benefit from teachers, um, you can sit down on your own and you can study Scripture and you can 
the Holy Spirit can guide you in your understanding of Scripture. You can do that without me. Now, don't. I mean, I want to be able to help. That came out wrong. Um, I want to be able to help, and I want to be able to teach. But all of you should be studying the Bible on your own. If your sole Bible study is listening to me, then you're cheating yourself. Because the God's word is powerful, the Holy Spirit is real, and he can use God's word in your life when you're sitting at home at 6 o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night. You can study, you can learn, you can grow without input from me or anybody else. That's how I would answer it. I'd probably answer that a little bit shorter, if, but you all get the point. All right. Any other? Yes. <laughs> they are very compressed. They are very compressed. And um, not only that, I don't want to argue about it. I don't want their papers. I don't want anything. Mm-hmm. But think about it. Maybe this is their big book. They have a great big church service. Yep. I mean, they share the gospel every day or every weekend, whatever. And so I wonder if that's part of their big book. It is. And we're going to talk about that. That is part of their, what they're expected to do. That's part of their earning favor from God is those two-year missions, wherever it is that, that those missions take them. But some of not answering, the, it's cultural, right? I mean, didn't you, I, I, I saw a comedian talking about this. He said, we used to leave the front door open. Anybody could just come and just walk in. And now the doorbell rings. We're army crawling across the floor trying to see who it is. We're flipping off lights. And I'm telling the kids, be quiet. We don't know who it is. I mean, some of that's just cultural. Um, but we're going to get to a verse in a minute that, that is very important for us to understand. Second John um, verse 10, chapter 1, verse 10. And we're going to look at that here in just a second. Let me go ahead and give you, we've got just a few minutes left. Let me go ahead and give you these last three things. How should we respond to those in the cult? Um, and I'm going to explain these in more detail as we go. So if you hear one of these and you're like, what does that mean? Just wait and we'll, we'll expound on this as we move forward. So here's A. We should love and pray for them. Some of the problems in our conversations with those of a different religion and those who hold to different belief systems is that we want to talk with them, but we don't ever spend time praying for them. Prayer should always precede those types of conversations. If you choose to have them, prayer has got to be a crucial component of that. Because here's the truth. You will never argue someone into heaven. You can't do it. Apart from the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, opening eyes that are blind to spiritual truths, you, will ne- you can't save someone and you cannot argue someone into heaven. That is the, 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 salvation is the saving work of it's what God does. Now, we present truth, but if we're relying on our ability to argue rather than the Holy Spirit's ability to convict, then we're placing our trust in the wrong place to begin with. So there's got to be this crucial component of prayer. B, we witness to them with our life, first of all. You know what one of the other problems is, is many times we are eager, some people are, eager to talk with those of different belief systems and argue with people of different belief systems, and we fail, and we, and we call it witnessing to them, but we ignore the fact that we've been denying Christ and how we've lived our life uh, the other six days of the week. 
meaning we, we talk about Christ and we claim Christianity and we want to tell someone what we believe and correct their wrong beliefs, but when they've been watching our lives throughout the week, they haven't seen lives and marriages and homes and families and relationships that have been transformed by the gospel. If you want to communicate, if you want to proclaim the gospel, be sure, first of all, that your life is displaying the gospel. If you're only eager in proclaiming the gospel, but you're not interested in your life displaying the gospel, then you're proclamation is going to fall on deaf ears. What allows, enables, what enables people to listen to what you proclaim is if they first have seen it displayed. Um, so live in a way to where you are witnessing to people and you're sharing truth with people simply through how you live your life. And then see, let me give you this one and let me find Second John. C, they should not be your closest friends. All right, let me read 2 John 1, 10. It's actually just verse 10. There's only one chapter. Um, it says this. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching of Christ, do not receive him into your house and do not say welcome to him, for the one who says welcome to him shares his evil works. Now, that's a kind of a bold verse, right? Let me read it again. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, say again, what teaching is the teaching? If you go up to verse 7, it talks about Jesus. Let me just back up and start in verse 7. I want you to see the context. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself so you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes, um, goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this is the one who has the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, again, the teaching that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, do not receive him into your home and don't say welcome to him, for the one who says welcome to him shares in his evil works. Now, this is not saying, let me say what this is not saying. This is not saying that we are not friendly to those of a cult of a different belief system. This is not saying that we are not friends with people of a different belief system or a cult. What this is saying is there is a danger in having them be your closest friend. I mean, the Bible is clear that we're not to be unequally yoked, right? And oftentimes that's applied to marriage, but I think when you back that on down, being unequally yoked, I, 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 just as I would say it's wrong for a believer to marry an unbeliever, I would say it's wrong for a believer to date an unbeliever. I would say it's wrong for the majority of our relationships to be someone who holds... Why, why would this be dangerous? Huh? They can sway you? What? So your closest friends are to be, according to Scripture, are to be the people that are provoking you to love and good works, the Bible says. They are to be the ones that are spurring you towards spiritual growth, spurring you towards Christ-likeness, pushing you towards um, what the Bible describes the Christian life should look like. And what's dangerous many times is when we ignore those type of I would say godly relationships, and we feel our closest friends with people who do not do that, and not only do they not do that, they do the opposite of that. What happens to our spiritual life? A little leaven. What does it say? Yeah, a little leaven leavens the whole lump is, is the way I memorized it. What does leaven represent in Scripture? Yeast, what does yeast represent in Scripture? Sin, error, all right? What happens when you're cooking and you put a little yeast 
What happens to the whole thing? Is it just that one little section that's affected? It affects the whole, right? Well, in our lives, whenever we, we put the wrong kind of influences in our life, what begins to happen is our whole life is affected. And so we have to be very cautious. So understand what John is saying here is, hey, he's not saying don't be friends with people who believe different than you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying be sure, though, that your closest friends are those who promote godliness. And then from the position of having group promote godliness, then you are in a position to pursue those who need Christ. And we're going to dive into that verse a whole lot more. And that's a verse, Dora, that has a lot to your question that we're going to kind of dive into even more as we go through. So, um, all right, next week, next week, we are diving into Hinduism. All right, so next week, we're going to start with the Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, the, the Quran. Um, and then we are going to go into some of the West, and, and we're going to do Judaism as well. Judaism is another tough one. Um, but we're going to go into Judaism, and then we're going to go into some of the uh, Western religions. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your, your truth. And God, we live in a world where we are surrounded by different belief systems. And God, in fact, we live in a country where you have allowed so many different belief systems to come to us. God, what, what a wonderful mission field we live in. What a wonderful mission opportunity this is. And so, God, I pray that this study would do several things. I would pray it familiarize us with what other people believe. I pray that it would uh, reinforce the truth of what we believe so that then as we encounter different belief systems, we can lovingly and boldly share the gospel and then be able to answer questions that may arise. And God, our desire is for more people to know you, more people to worship you. And so I pray that this study over the next number of weeks and months would help that become a reality. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.